Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast, here to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus wherever you are and whatever you're going through. My name is Jez. It's great to have you with us. Today, I'm excited to bring you the first in another mini-series on a theme as part of our Life and Leadership Shorts podcasts. Now, for these shorts, I had a conversation about preaching with well-known Bible teacher Andrew Wilson. The first episode considers the purpose of preaching. The second will look at insights on how to structure a sermon and communicate well. And then the third will look at the process of preparation. I hope that these conversations serve you well and become a resource that you can share with others. Now, there are also videos available that accompany these conversations, which particularly for episodes two and three will be useful since they feature Andrew at a flip chart mapping out what he describes for us. Now, personally, I've benefited hugely over the years, both from Andrew's instruction and training and also his preaching, something that has been a means of encountering God for me on many occasions. So I'm sure you're going to be blessed and helped and equipped and well served by everything that he has to share with us. Please don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast and please do share it with anyone that you think will benefit from this. Okay. So, for now, it's over to Andrew. Enjoy. So we're beginning a series of shorts. Well, I'm with Andrew Wilson, and we're going to be talking about preaching, uh, the purpose of preaching, how to prepare sermons, that sort of thing. Uh, Andrew, great to have you with us. Great to be here, Jess. So we've we've spoken before, and um, we're obviously friends. So I know lots. <laughs> of, once or twice, yes. I know you lots. I know you very well, and uh, I know that one of the things about you is your an exceptional communicator and preacher, um, a popular conference speaker, as they like to say. <laughs> a funny introduction. <laughs> because the unpopular conference speakers <laughs> don't, don't get, get to get... No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and anyway, you're someone who is very thoughtful when it comes to preaching and communication. Oh, thank you. So I thought it'd be great to just get some advice and try to get some tips and thoughts and hints and tricks from you on how to mm. preach, to sharpen those of us who regularly preach the Word of God in various settings. So why don't we start with, first of all, talking about preaching. Um, why preach uh, as opposed to why not just have conversations? Um, what do you make of the, the, the trend towards just dialogue and conversation? So where do you want to start with those sorts of reflections? So I think I have um, what some people sometimes call a, almost a sacramental view of preaching, which is it, it to say that what you do when you preach is not primarily to try and get someone to understand an idea or even necessarily to persuade them that it's true or remember it, that that's not the primary purpose of preaching because there are other tools that I think are really, in many ways, more effective. If you're trying to persuade someone, you ask them a question, they come back with an answer, you extend, and there's lots of that in the Christian life. There should be. Paul does loads of it. And sometimes other people say, no, what you need to do is you need to use all the best like memory tools, mnemonic tools, like as many sort of visuals, getting people to actually do the thing you're talking about to help them remember it. And again, I think if that's what you're trying to achieve, then lots of those tools are really appropriate. But my understanding of preaching is that it isn't just those things. There's, but both of those things are vital, catechizing, discipling, teaching, and dialoguing, reasoning, evangelizing are both vital parts of the Christian life. But what we do when we give a sermon is actually slightly different from both of those even though it involves both and that is I'm trying to facilitate an encounter between the person and God and then in a way that's why I say sacramental almost sacramental 
um, because in a way it functions a little bit like communion does or a worship song does. It's an attempt to, empower, to enable an encounter between the individual and God, which will then include elements of teaching and elements of apologetics or evangelism, but is actually somehow different from both of them. And I think that if you think that's what preaching is, then the case for doing it in the form of something like a monologue is very strong because you're not only trying to win, win someone over and you're not just trying to get them to remember stuff, you're actually trying to lead them from a place where the scripture has been read and explained in such a way and applied to their heart in such a way that the person is meeting God in and through the text as it's preached, which I think is quite close to Luther's take on it. I'm quite very influenced by that view, really, that, you, that the word is doing the work and that your job as a herald is to announce the word in such a way that the person gets drawn into an encounter with God, whether they're an unbeliever or, or a believer. And so that, to me, affects a lot about how I would try and go about it. So you're not too worried whether or not people remember? No, people, <laughs> people don't. I mean, I, like, I want to communicate well. I want people to remember what I said. I, I like it when people come up and say, oh, I remember you said this. But I have in my ministry already found the number of people who've come up and said, I remember you did this illustration is higher than the number of people who can remember always what the illustration meant. And I just, in the end, it doesn't, doesn't phase me. People sometimes come up and say, you know, no one will remember that next week or next year. I sometimes say, no, half of them won't remember it tomorrow or this afternoon. Um, I know because I've sat in many lunch times or life groups where people have said, oh, what did so-and-so say? And people say, oh, yeah, it was great. I don't remember what they said. And I think that if you hold a view that's more like preaching is didactic or, or it's, sorry, I like this word, catechetical, it's intended to kind of instruct and make people remember stuff, then you'll feel like a failure if you know that that afternoon they've forgotten it. But I don't think that's how you teach people to remember stuff. I think you teach people to remember stuff by putting it in your liturgy, in your prayers, in your songs, and getting them to say it repeatedly. Uh, that's how you teach people content and to get them to remember it. But if you're trying to facilitate encounter, the fact that they don't necessarily remember the detail is actually not that important. I, I would feel devastated if they left going, I, I, just, I didn't really see Jesus there. I didn't, really, I didn't hear God speak to me in, in the word. That's when I feel like I've missed it. But if, I, if someone goes away and said, oh, no, I did. It was, I met God, I understood things, and I was, again, caught with affection for God, but I then forgot it three hours later. I said, that doesn't, that's a success. And that's why the standard illustration of you don't remember all the meals you ate, but they all did you good is, I think, it's really appropriate. You actually, to benefit from a meal, you don't need to remember it. You just need to eat it. And I think preaching's like that. So you, you use the word encounter, but essentially you're wanting people to have an experience. They want to feel it. So in that, yes. so in that sense, are you in danger of like just trying to use tools and tricks to get to people's emotional core? What, what are we talking about here? So I think there is a danger of that. I suspect there's a danger of... Uh, all of the different models of preaching have dangers. If it's just about just catechesis and memory, it become, could become very dry and write, almost rote learning. I think you have dangers of the apologetic view, as it endless sort of back and forth, it doesn't feel like it resolves, it doesn't have enough experience in life. And probably the, the danger of the view I have is that, yes, it could be emotionalist, it could be manipulate, manipulated. I think that's true of anything in Christian worship, actually. It's true of songs, it could be true of communion and many things. I think I mean, Jonathan Edwards really helps uh, the, the 18th century preacher and pastor. I think he helps because people were complaining about his, the revival in Northampton uh, in America. Um, and he defended the revival and defended the emotions people were expressing by saying, I actually don't think it's a problem to 
raise people's emotions so long as the emotions are commensurate with or fitting to of a piece with the the truths which are supposed to be firing those emotions that it's is actually inappropriate to be stating incredibly exhilarating truths and not have an emotional response what you've got to make sure though is that you don't end up hyping the emotion without the truth uh, without the substance and i think the same thing is true of preaching i think it's true in principle any part of christian worship the the danger with a very epic anthemic sugary song is not that it makes people emotional it's that it just doesn't have enough substance to, to be fitting to those, those emotions. And in the end, people go, I don't really know what that was all about. And I think the same is true of preaching. But as long as you realize that the, tr- the tool you have in your hand to try and provoke those emotions and bring people to a place of encounter is grounded in the truths that the work, and you've got to be exegetically rigorous to show this is how the text leads to this conclusion. I'm, I'm not just saying, let's read a Bible now. Let me try and move you. Because a skilled orator can do that no matter, almost no matter what they're saying. Winston Churchill could do that, not even a Christian. So you, you, what you've got to do is go, I, I'm trying to show you how that sense of affection and joy in God that I want to take you to in Christ is, being, is, is of a piece with what the text says. And so you're helping mentally helping see the link. So I don't want to disparage either of the other two models as if they're irrelevant. I just don't think they're the sum title of what preaching is. But I need to do them in order to build the bridge between what the text says and that person saying, this is why God is good and this is why God loves me and God has forgiven my sins or God needs to confront or challenge me or whatever it may be. Mm. So uh, you've quoted before something that Pascal said about men want, you've got to want men to want it to be true. What's that? So men despise religion. So Pascal of Triangle fame says men despise religion, they, they hate it and they're afraid it might be true. So what you've got to do is to start by showing them that religion is reasonable or is worth considering, worthy of respect. Then you show that it, you, people want it to be true. Then you've got to make good men wish it were true, he says. And only then can you show that it is. So you have to get people to a point where they will consider, is this plausible? Is this even worth a moment of my time? Or is this just idiocy? And if you get past that stage, you then say, now this is why you should want it to be right. This is why grace, hope, joy, love, these central themes of Christian preaching. Why Christ, right? Why you should want Jesus to be alive. Why you should want his sin to count, his, his death for your sins to count for yours. And if you can get people that, then you might be in a position where people will go, okay, now I'll consider whether it's actually true. But if they're not emotionally somewhat invested in the idea that it might be, they probably won't listen. And they won't hear, you can say the words, but they won't follow it. And I think that's what Pascal is getting at. And I think that's crucial to the way in which you might pull a sermon together. And this kind of idea of preaching, and so I know from listening to you, you, you don't, um, you make good use of the tools of communication. We're going to talk more about them in, a, in another conversation. So it's not that you're despising those, it's that actually your goal here isn't just to help someone remember something or just to, you know, increase their knowledge and their understanding. So my, my thinking and question is, is there biblical justification for this view of preaching? And where, where does this idea come from? I think the Bible is... A biblical view of preaching is kind of strange to a, to a point, certainly in the sermon form, because obviously a lot of the... Um, a lot of what the Bible... The Bible doesn't talk about what preaching is very much at all. It just shows people doing it. And it also shows people engaging in that kind of proclamation of the gospel in a number of different ways. So it has people writing you know, very detailed, letter, like a letter like Hebrews, going through almost a line at a time, showing people, here's how the Old Testament leads to this conclusion, with an exhortation in it to, to keep persevering. It also shows 
um, reasoning with unbelievers. You know, you see Paul's doing it like for two years. Like, don't you want those tapes? Like, what's he actually saying in the hall of Tyrannus? And what are they asking him? And how does he respond? Why is that not recorded? But what you also have is these much longer monologues as they're presented is that you know Paul and Barnabas stand up and they proclaim and sometimes or Stephen and sometimes in Acts those things last pretty much an entire chapter the Acts 13 a lot of Acts 17 Acts 7 you know these long speeches Acts 2 and you think I think methodologically the implication is that what those preach what those what Luke is doing in recording that even though he doesn't describe all the ins and outs of every cut and thrust of debate Paul has but they have a number of these gospel preach even Paul's testimony in Acts 22 Acts 26 the same thing happens I think we're intended to conclude from that that this is somehow normative in Christian formation and Christian proclamation and now that doesn't say therefore oh the purpose of all of those is encounter because you do have Acts 2 brothers what should we do you assume that's pretty encountery um, but you also have at the end of Acts 17 you know these people well, a few people said we'll hear you again and some people laughed and a few people became believers but it's not a proof text for they all had this power encounter. But I think, what it, I think that's drawing from a, a wider seam of, I think, what Christian worship is and the place of a sermon within Christian worship, which I think ultimately in, in all we do, we want to bring people to encounter, to see the beauty of Christ. That's not just drawn from preaching, just that preaching in that sense, I think, is trying to do the same sort of thing as a worship song is, as communion is, as prayer is, which is, to, is communion with Christ. I think that's what we're trying to draw people towards and preaching is no different, rather than a view which would say, no, sung worship in our kind of church is often, that's where people go, that's where I get the feels, that's where I feel I'm encountering God, and then the Bible bit is the bit where I learn stuff I suppose I must know, and I'm trying to say, no, 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 what's happening in a sermon is actually completely consistent with what's happening in the song, the, the mode is different, but the intention is the same. And that's why sometimes I know I've been in churches where after the worship, the person will introduce the preacher and they'll say, this is part of our worship. We're going yeah. to encounter God. Let's, yeah. let's open our hearts. Yeah. Let's make sure we're still in that same posture, which I often sit there thinking, I don't know what to do. Still in the same what you mean? Still like standing up out of the front row. They're trying to communicate. Yeah. Like, we're not here just to learn, yeah. to remember, but to encounter God. And I, and I guess you'd say the clearest way we encounter God is in the gospel. Yes. What's, the, what's the way that you're thinking this is going to be because you, you know you talk about you can use or oh, this emotional story will help get to the heart but actually you know you rightly said actually we want to see something in the text yes. so what is it that you go to to think this is going to be the thing that's going to help them to encounter God well I don't think there's any one thing because texts are, texts are all different so I think if you're preaching on like in my devotions this morning I'm reading 1 Kings 14 I'm thinking well if I had to preach 1 Kings 14 right now I can't just preach it and then I can't just read the passage and then say, and here's why Jesus loves you. And Without people going, what on earth has that got to do with that? So the text itself raises lots of questions. So I have to do the apologetic bit often and certainly the didactic bit in order for, to be able to exhort people and, and you know, hopefully give people a vision of the beauty of Christ. Whereas other texts where you'd say, you know, in the summer at New Day, you do, I did Romans 8, and I literally didn't have to add anything except for a couple of illustrations. I'm almost like performing the text as it is. And every, you know, thousands of teenagers go, yeah, I can see, I might even not believe it, but I can see why if that's true, that's good news, and that provokes an encounter with Jesus. So I think that the spectrum from 1 Kings 14 to Romans 8 is pretty wide. And so the way you preach a passage where you've got to do a lot more work, you have to join the dots much more thoroughly and say, here's how I think it's okay 
Here's why I think it's actually important that we understand what's taking place in this story in light of Christ. But that might, if I preach for 25 to 30 minutes, which I do, I haven't got very long to do that. It takes me five minutes to read it, and then I want to land with some, have some application, some gospel in there. So it might be I've only got 10 or 15 minutes to show people why the text means what I'm then getting them to say. Whereas in other passages, that work isn't needed in the same way because it's much plainer what's meant. So yeah, it's different texts, but you said it there in 1 Kings, we're trying to get them to Christ. You want them to see the gospel. Yeah. It's the gospel yeah. that helps us encounter God. So you mentioned there, you know, you've got 25 to 30 minutes. Let's talk about like sermon length, because obviously in the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount just takes a few minutes to read. You think, is that, was that, that's the sermon, whereas we're so used to, I mean, I've heard people say, and maybe it's a, a popular idea at the moment, but it might not be true. Oh, our model of sermon is just based on the 16th century, or it's based on university lecture halls, and it doesn't connect with people where they really are. What's your reflections on the format of preaching? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a verse, so I don't, there's nowhere that says this is how long your, your, your preach should be for. I think you could, I personally think that you can make the same argument about every element of Christian liturgy. Um, so you could say, oh, no, people don't need to sing four or five songs, they just need to sing one. Or, oh, no, you don't need to, you can do communion as fast as you like. Or you could say you don't need to have multiple prayers, you just have one. I think you could do this, and, and you could pray for five minutes, not for 20 I think in some ways you could be reductionist, and, if, and of course in some settings that would be entirely appropriate. If you're in a, I don't know, a military base in the middle of a war and you get allocated 20 minutes a, you know, a week for Sunday worship, you'd make it work, right? You'd say, yeah, well, I don't preach for 20 minutes, of course I don't, I, you split it. I think in our culture it's appropriate. I've heard people say people can come to church for as long as they sit through a movie, so 90 minutes is fine. And, and if people say they can't stick with it for 90 minutes, you say, oh, you do in other areas, and, and so on. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to make a rule out of that at all, but I think that's probably a, a culturally appropriate norm. That's if you went to see a show, it would often be longer than that. I feel like, okay, that's not, that's the length of a football match. I think that's probably fine. Um, so I don't really buy it that people can't concentrate, or that people, what I think, though, that when people critique preaching as it's currently done. I think they're often saying, in theory, I can listen for that long. I can't listen when you do it because it's too boring or it's too, or I don't understand why it matters or whatever. And at that point, the preacher has to be self-reflective and I guess humble enough to go, okay, am, can I carry it for, and I'm not going to, I don't preach for 90 as, as you know. But I think if somebody was to go to the other extreme and say, no, you, you, only need, you only need five actually, I think I would say there's a lot, in that case, there is a lot of things that my church who are asking week by week, like literally at the end of almost every Sunday, somebody will say, I don't understand. Could we talk about, how do you understand, help me out with, and that, and of course in preaching is a very helpful way of doing that, not just one-to-one, -one, but corporately, and take, assuming that that person's question represents 10 people who didn't ask the question. And so I think in many ways I serve the church better if I am responsive to that. Now I personally think that the 55-hour-long sermon, I just, I don't think I'm, I might in a conference setting when people are really motivated, they've specifically chosen my seminar, they might all be leaders anyway, that's what I can talk for longer. But in a church setting, I'm like, no, I, I, they probably won't hack it and I wouldn't be serving them if I just went on and on. But I'm, I'm, but I'm not at the, no, you've got to make it as reductionist as possible. Because I think that in those settings what can happen is precisely the missing middle that I was talking about where they, the text might have been read but then you jump from that to a sort of point of application without showing the work about how this leads to that conclusion. And I think that can hollow out people's biblical understanding in a culture like ours where a lot of people 
hear the word read and preached and may not be expecting to read it very much on their own. And I, I think I need to help them to join the dots between the two. Okay, um, we'll just kind of last question in this section then. Um, it, it seems to be in growing in popularity the idea of what I hear is disciple making movements that emphasize a lot more just Bible study, question, discussion, you read the text, that sort of thing. And there's a lot of value in that. But my concern is that it, that is done at the expense of proclamation of the gospel in the sermon. What are your reflections on the discussion between those two modes and approaches to ministry? I've got to say, I haven't, I haven't seen it. Right? So I've, I've, in fact, I've found the Discovery Bible idea really helpful and think in a life group setting. In fact, I've commended it to all our life groups in our church. I, I, so I think it can be a very helpful tool. Um, but I've not seen it, so I don't think I can critique it at all. Um, and I've not really seen it in the West anyway. I've not been in a setting, I don't even have people I know who have said, we don't need the, the gathered church meeting, we just need this. If I thought lots of people were doing that, I'd probably need to get much more involved in the, I'd feel like I want to get involved in the debate and say, no, 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 the gathered meeting is still vitally important. Um, you know, I've done a lot of work on 1 Corinthians and there you have you know, people meeting in the homes and then you have the when you come together. And I, so I, to me, I would always defend both. And whether you call this one a small group or a discipleship group or whatever, I don't think any of them remove the need for the, center, the, the central gathering. Um, but I'm, I don't feel like I have that complaint at this point because I think that generally where it's thrived and the experiences of friends of mine who've shared a lot of stories from, say, Iran or China or whatever, are often in settings where large public meetings are just off the table. So it's a, and often they would say, if we could gather together, we, we, we actually would, would like to in certain contexts, but that's just not an option, so we have to do only this. And I think it's a it's an important piece of the puzzle, but I don't think it's the whole sum of Christian gathered worship. And I think we need probably both. And in the West, since we're able to do both, we, we should. Well, there you have it. The first in our shorts on preaching with Andrew Wilson. I hope you found that helpful. The next episode in the short series will be out in two weeks time. And what was there about what Andrew had to say that struck a chord with you. Those of us who labour and work hard at trying to communicate the gospel well and faithfully week in, week out in our churches. I hope you found it encouraging, this, what he calls a sacramental view of preaching. That namely, your job isn't just or only or mainly even to try to teach people to remember things. Because if that's our goal, then there's lots of other tools we could be using besides monologue. But no, your goal and my goal is to help facilitate an encounter between the saints and their God, between Christ and his people. And that is a beautiful thing to aim at. So brothers and sisters, those of you who labour and work hard at this, I pray that God blesses you in your preparation, that you feel freshly energised and envisioned for the great task of preaching that God has called you to. As someone once said, God had only one son and he made him a preacher. So may we go out and preach the gospel with all of our might and strength as part of our worship. Would we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and would we work hard at trying to facilitate encounters between God and his people mediated through the word, empowered by and enlivened by the spirit. May God bless you and we'll see you again soon for another podcast.